you're so quick to point a finger We judge things from my point of view The things that we say, the trouble it makes It hurts you and it hurts me too This is such a fallen world we live in It's really not the way it's supposed to be What if we could see each other different? It'd probably change everything We're all broken people Don't we all need Jesus? Every moment of our lives 24, 3, 6, 5 Our human is equal Don't we all have our weakness? Hey. Everybody makes mistakes Everybody needs their grace We all need Jesus Even the ones who think they don't We got stuff we hide deep down inside There's so much that we don't show yeah, It's just the only world we live in It's really not the way it's supposed to be yeah, Isn't that the beauty of redemption? It changes everything We're all broken people Don't we all need Jesus? with uh, most of us who call ourselves Christians is that we 
often don't think we need Jesus, other than when life gets tough. When our world gets turned upside down, then all of a sudden we need him in the worst way. I've studied enough psychology to know that everyone is codependent to one degree or another. The clinical definition of codependency is excessive emotional or psychological reliance on another person. Most of us have no idea just how codependent we really are. Therefore, when we lose a close friendship, we find out just how dependent we really were on that person and how excessive was that dependence on them. And there's such a thing as a healthy dependency, but all dependency is need. And the greatest need we have in this life is Jesus. We've all been created with a God-shaped vacuum in our souls, and only Jesus can fill that vacuum. In all the marriage counseling I've done, I've learned that mentoring is far more effective than counseling. And I've learned that marriages don't fail because a husband and a wife fall out of love. Marriages fail when a couple falls out of relationship. And to that end, I want to talk to you this morning about your relationship with God. Specifically, I want to talk to you about how to rest in God how to be at home in God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your words are life. We thank you for your word. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will open our spiritual eyes and ears to see, to hear your truth. Open our hearts to receive your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my sermon this morning is The Great House of God. I preached this to you before, but the Lord told me you needed to hear it again. But this is revised. Text this morning will be Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. I want to challenge your concept of home this morning. I want to give you a frame of reference of what it means to truly make your home the great house of God. Jesus quite often defined home in the context of a house. Slide one, please. Matthew chapter 7. The words of Christ. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. I love it when inadvertently um, Bonnie or whomever takes the pulpit in the morning, they use the same scripture I use. It's like the Lord's confirming, yeah, we're all on the same page on the right track. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. 
like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. In the South, we have an expression that uh, goes like this. He's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. I've always felt that that would be the highest compliment anybody could pay me. But most Christians aren't heavenly minded at all. If you're going to make Jesus your home, your shelter from this life, you must be heavenly minded. There are a lot of us who struggle with the concept of home, the concept of family. Why? Because we grew up in very dysfunctional families, very dysfunctional homes. As a young boy, my father was passed around from family member to family member because his mother was mentally ill and could not care for him. But the real reason he was passed around is because nobody wanted him. He was an inconvenience. My mother was raised in a family of eight with a father whose idea of discipline was beating his children until they passed out. For those who have been raised under a constant threat of violence, particularly those who have had a monster for a father, or a mother that was totally indifferent to their needs and their wants, we've been scarred for life. The word home has a very negative connotation, as does the word family. So how do you define home? How do you define family? When you were a child, was home a place you wanted to go at the end of your school day? Or did you stay at school as long as you could and you hung out with your friends until dark 30, until their parents told you you need to go home? Some of us played the prodigal most of our lives because there was no loving father waiting for us on the front porch. No one to lovingly welcome us home. Even so, most of us believe that there truly is such a thing as the great house of God. But we struggle to believe that we're truly welcome there. The story of the prodigal son has been called the greatest story of God's grace in the entire Bible. I tend to agree. And while the prodigal son is a story of a son who had everything, even a loving father, he still turned his back on it all. And he went his own way. Slide two, please. I'll give you a brief recap. Luke 15. 
And while he, the prodigal, was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his sand, uh, finger and sandals for his feet and kill the fatted calf. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. To quote John MacArthur, it was the father's love, not the son's merit that prompted the welcome. The prodigal came back out of desperation, but he came back. And that is all the Father required. The lesson in this story is this. When we confess our sins, our Father God is always gracious, merciful, and forgiving. Slide three, please. Ephesians 2.18 from the ESV. For through Christ we have access through the Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Christ you are also being joined together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. From Chuck Swindoll. As we are being joined together this holy temple is being built. The work is still going on. Your neighbor who just came to Christ this past week is now being built into this dwelling, into this ever-enlarging temple. And this process will not cease until the Lord himself returns for his own. But this holy temple, this great house of God, is not the address that most of us live at. We visit, but we don't live there. Most of us don't call the great house of God home, and that's on us. We're hopeful that we will one day be able to call it home, but presently we doubt that we are worthy. We feel like pretenders. We feel so unworthy that we prefer to sleep on the park bench or huddle together with the homeless rather than go home. We feel estranged from God. And again, that's on us. Brennan Manning. The good news of the gospel of grace is that we are all equally privileged but unentitled beggars at the door of God's mercy. That's from his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. 
It's true, we are all unentitled beggars at the door of God's mercy. And sadly, many of us choose to remain beggars. And as hard as life is as a beggar, we choose to remain destitute. And how does Jesus respond to this? Slide four, please. Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. But we really have a problem with this. Take my yoke upon you. That sounds like work. Let me teach you. We don't want to be taught. Because if we did, we would have a voracious appetite for the Word of God. So why do we own homes? Why do we own houses? Because we need shelter from the elements. We need a place to rest our weary heads at the end of a long day. We need domicile, an island to which we can retreat and refresh our souls. When Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also, he was not only speaking of heaven, he was also speaking about those heavenly places we read of in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Slide five, please. Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us who are in Christ Jesus. Slide six, please. St. Paul uses the phrase heavenly places five times in the letter to the Ephesians. And that tells us it's important. That tells us it's very important to understand what those places are. The Greek word for heavenly places is epiranios. It means of heavenly origin or nature. Ephesians 3.10 God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There are three heavens. The heaven of the clouds, the heavens of outer space, the stars, and God's heaven. Where are the heavenly places? Anywhere Christ is. If he's in your heart, that's your heavenly place. Let me read that again. God's purpose in all this was to use the church 
the church to display his wisdom in all its rich variety to the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Because the Holy Spirit of the living God is here on this earth. These are heavenly places. The question is, are we willing to walk in those heavenly places? Are we willing to call those heavenly places home? In other words, God's plan throughout the ages has been for his people to exercise and command his power against all the unseen satanic rulers and authorities in this world. You may remember I've given you the example of going to the pet store and buying a goldfish. You're the goldfish. Remember, when you buy a goldfish at the pet store, they put him in a little plastic bag filled with water. That water that surrounds you, the goldfish, is your heavenly places. And you are protected from all the other elements on this earth because you live in heavenly places. But you're surrounded by Satan and his demons. So stay in your heavenly places. We have heavenly power and authority because we are in Christ. The great house of God is the heavenly places spoken of in Ephesians. If we don't live in the great house of God, we don't live in power. We don't live in protection. Slide 7. Hebrews 3. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house, the great house of God. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. Slide 8, verse 4. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house. We are the great house of God. If we keep our courage and remain confident of our hope in Christ, if we don't place our hope in Christ, if we don't make the Lord Jesus our domicile, our shelter from the storms of life, what happens? Slide nine, please. Continuing Hebrews chapter three, verse seven. 
Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There, your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. And they didn't. They all died and were buried in the desert. When you ignore God's presence in your life, you turn away from God. And what about those tests and trials that enter our lives? Do we let those turn our hearts from God? Chuck Swindoll. Tests come to soften our spirits, not to harden our hearts. When resting accompanies testing, divine surprises replace human strife. When we come to a barrier in our lives, we want God to knock it down. We want relief. God wants maturity. He wants the barrier to stay in place until we learn a lesson. Until we stop worshiping the wrong things. Resting in God means accepting what God wants more than what we want. Slide 10. Hebrews 4. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. How do you fail to experience it? You choose to live on the park bench, knowing you have the keys to the great house of God in your pocket. For this good news has been announced to us just as it was to the Israelites in the wilderness. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who can believe enter his rest. For all others, God said, in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my rest. Even though this rest has been ready for us since the beginnings of the world. Resting in God is intimacy with God. You can't rest unless you feel protected. Unless you feel safe. You cannot know the rest of God which he has promised. Unless you trust him. We call that faith. When we refuse to find our strength in the Word of God, what happens? We become susceptible to the devil's lies. We start to believe him when he calls us unworthy. And we once again start sleeping on that park bench, sleeping out in the cold. We give up our domicile. What is domicile? Glad you asked. 
Domicile is the country that a person treats as their permanent home. Are you living in God's country? Do you call God's country home? Is the great house of God your permanent address? It seems that I quote this verse to you every other Sunday. Guess what? That's by design. Isaiah 30, 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Let's read that in the NLT. Slide 11, please. Isaiah 30, 15 through 18. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. Returning to God and repentance are the same thing. In quietness and confidence, confidence in who? Not in yourself. Confidence in God is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no. No, we'll get our help from Egypt. They will give us swift horses for riding into battle. But the only swiftness you are going to see is the swiftness of your enemies chasing you. One of them will chase a thousand of you. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. The economy of God's blessings is not hard to understand. The mind of God is not hard to understand. When God told Moses to assemble the tribes of Israel prior to their entry into the promised land, he said this, slide 12 please. Deuteronomy chapter 30. The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul so you may live. The Lord your God will delight in you if you obey his voice and keep the commands and the decrees written in this book of instruction. And if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Heart and soul, folks. Heart and soul. This is how we follow God. This is how we take up residence in the great house of God. Heart and soul. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now, Slide 13. Do we have other gods in our lives? Anything you think on more than God, anything you put in his place, you're worshiping other gods. 
Then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Serious stuff. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. This is the key to the great house of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, please impress upon our hearts that in our Lord Jesus we have the keys to the kingdom. We have the keys to the great house of God. Help us, Lord, to commit to you. Commit to obey you, to love you heart and soul. Help us, Lord, to stop sleeping on the park bench and use the keys in our pocket to enter your house, to live in your house, to revel in your house, to revel in your protection, your shelter, your loving kindness. Make, make it so, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Slide 14. For my benediction, Hebrews 3.14. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. There's one you need to paste to your refrigerator door. If we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Think on that a moment. All that belongs to Christ. All the kingdom power, all the majestic glory, all the incomparable joy that is Christ, we will share. And why? Because Father God has made us joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? amen. Blessings to you all.